It's Genesis chapter 32, beginning at verse 22, reading through to verse 31. Genesis 32, verses 22 to 31. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. It's really good to be here, and again, if you're new, if this is your first time, or um, if this is your thousandth time, it's a great thing to gather around the scriptures and to open up our hearts and see what it is that God might say. I have uh, two nephews, and one is called Alexander, and one is called Charlie, and uh, they have a bit of a, a routine that goes on when they're staying over. There'll be this little, uh, there'll be this little sort of <laughs> that you hear outside the door, and then the, the door will sort of crank open slowly uh, in the morning, and that's, that's usually my cue to pretend I'm asleep, and so I'll... Uh, I'll sneak under the covers, and then they will sort of pad, and you hear the <laughs> Then they, they, they sort of don't really get it by now, and then they pounce, and they try and, they try and wake me up or throw me away or take over the throne or something. And then, then goes this sort of wrestling thing, and, and ever since they were babies, I was excited about the time where they were sort of strong enough to throw without breaking them, but not so heavy that, you know, I would get injured. And they're right in that phase just now. Um, what was always important was Xander, uh, one of my nephews, was diagnosed with uh, type, uh, type 1 diabetes at age 2. And so I always thought, as his uncle, it, would be, it might be useful to... You know, just let him know that he, he could take me out whenever he needed to. <laughs> and so we've, we've engaged in this. And, and there's something great about this wrestle, about this back and forth. Ultimately, they know they're not going to win. But there was a moment the other day where one was on my shoulders, about to be thrown, and the other kind of tackled my knee. I thought, oh gosh, I might drop this other one. <laughs> This isn't quite a wrestle, but it is a game. It's a, a drawing close. I had another experience of wrestling this week. 
It was with a dentist. I walked in, I nearly sat down, and they said, uh, sorry, you're, you're the wrong mark. Uh, we need to get the other one in here. I thought, what was this guy going to be in for? <laughs> and that, the wrestle with the dentist was pretty straightforward. I sat down, they put a bib on you, you know, they revert you back to childhood, they uh, open your mouth, and then you just, you just take whatever they're going to do. Some of you are already getting faint. I'm, I'm sorry. Hey, my nephews can't overpower me. I can't overpower the dentist. So what's the point of this wrestling that we go through? See, this week as we consider where we wrestle with God, where Jacob wrestled with God, we recognize that um, we usually try and hold on to something when we try to wrestle. We usually try and hold on to a bit of ourselves. But there's something in a wrestle that demands and that brings us face to face with something else. And this incident <laughs> that we see was a face to face encounter that transformed Jacob with God. And see, to really get this, we want to jump back a little bit in, in Jacob's life. Essentially, uh, Jacob is just a really, really good con man. He's a total trickster character in the Bible. He knows how to, how to mess things around a little bit. He knows how to, to grab his own way. His very name means supplanter. His name almost literally sounds like he takes one thing and puts it in another place. His whole life he's been tricking his way around to get what he desires, and he's got good at it. Taking us back into his life, he, he grew up as the son of Isaac, and he had a brother called Esau. He had Grandpa Abraham, who was cool, um, but you know they had some incidents with Isaac, so he didn't get to hang out one-to-one -one in case he sacrificed him too much, we think. And then, even in his life, when he was born, he, Jacob grabbed Esau's heel, almost like he was trying to get out first from the womb, or, or he was just kind of using him to get his way out. <laughs> and then, there was a moment where Esau, out hunting, um, was exhausted, was near death, and came in and was starving and asked for some soup. And Jacob goes, well, if you want some soup, you've got to trade me in your rights. You've got to give me your birthrights. This is the equivalent of running a marathon and at the end of it, trading away your inheritance for a bottle of water. And then later on, when Isaac the father was dying and blind, Jacob um, puts on a goat's outfit or an animal skin um, to, to look hairy. He, he obviously wasn't blessed as I. But um, he, he then goes over and tricks his father into thinking that this is his brother Esau, the oldest brother. And he says, bless me. It's me. I want your blessing, father. I want your inheritance. And so he's just tricked his way around. And Esau, understandably, isn't a huge fan of his brother at this point. Jacob heads away and he works for someone for seven years to get the right to marry his daughter. And, and then this person plays a trick on Jacob and gives him the wrong daughter. And so he gives him another seven years. And then another trick plays in. Jacob's getting good at this. He says to his father-in-law, hey, it's time for me to go. But I'll tell you what, I'll take the spotted sheep. I'll take the blemished ones as, you know, as a payment. 
And, uh, you, you know, I'll do that. You don't want them. And of course, there's a lot of male spotted sheep. And so in a year or two's time, he has an enormous flock. He's tricked again. And so he leaves. And he makes his way back to his land with his wives and his sheep and his trickster games. And he suddenly runs out of options. And we get to this moment here. So Jacob, with all his group, it says a little earlier, he sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. I mean, you can just hear it already. It's a game. And when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. He's, I mean, they really flopped their pitch there. You can hear this expectation. Go impress my brother. Tell him to welcome us back. Give us some land. Be there. I have wives. I have sheep. I have my, my flowing ways. And the messengers come back and say, your brother has about 400 people ready to take us out. Jacob was this self-made man, skillful. He can work a room. He can succeed in his own merit. But all his life, he'd been supplanting the purposes of God in his own life. So we want to get ready to plant the purposes of God in our lives not to supplant them, not to, to move to something else, not to move far or just play a game, but to invite God to plant his purpose in our life. And so we enter this moment. When Jacob got up, he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he'd sent them across the stream over to the other side where Esau was, he sent over all his possessions. And Jacob was left alone. Here's the successful guy who's made it all happen, who's essentially sent everyone ahead and said, look, Esau, brother, here's everything I've got. And he stayed behind for a night to face himself down. He's left to ponder, what does he have to lose? He's alone, he's wondering, what have I got left to use? How how else could I, could I trick this? And I think he's reached a point where he realized that what got him there will not get him into the next place. Have you ever been there? You realize, hey, what got me here, it's not going to get me there. All our ways of being, all our we defense strategies that maybe form our personalities as kids are ways of being trickster or clever, funny, they get us to a certain point. They can create us favorable situations in our, in our work or in our community, and we can be known for being really fun or really amicable or really clever. But there can come points in our lives where we realize what got me to here is not going to get us into the next place. For me, my amicable, hey, I you know, have it all either way, pretty laid back nature, um, is useful you know, until I get engaged and need to make decisions and contribute 
in a big equal relationship without just being like, hey, no, it's fine, it's fine. No, it's fine. That kind of thing ran out of usefulness. And now I've got to say, well, what, who am I really? My, you know, keep it cool, everyone's got an opinion, that's all right. That's fine until I get riled up about injustice and want to act on it. So I wonder what pieces of us, like Jacob, have perhaps just run out of usefulness for the true purposes of God that he wants to bring in our lives. What pieces of ourselves might God just be saying, hey, let's just give it back? Maybe you're deeply polite as a person, you value that. So in your work and life, it's brought a lot of favor, a lot of peace around you. Um, But maybe it bumps up when you try and articulate what you really stand for in the world. When you say, I won't budge on this. When you're offended by slavery or there's something deeply upset within you. Or maybe you're um, well thought out and heady, methodical, and you've, you've been able to build life very clearly. But when there's moments where someone just wants to know what you're feeling or wants to know that you can draw alongside them and empathize, maybe there's an invitation to more. So Jacob is left creepingly aware that his own little toolkit has just run out. He was left alone, and then a man wrestled wrestled with him till daybreak. That's a fantastic scripture, isn't it? Here we have someone alone, and then out of nowhere, he just gets jumped from behind. And they wrestle, and they wrestle, and they wrestle, and they, they fight, and they tussle, and they push, and they pull until it gets to daybreak. And when the man saw that he couldn't overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. He hit him with this low blow. Bam! He couldn't overpower him, and so he hits him with this low blow, takes him out. And then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Okay, I just, um, you know, it's on wrestling, so I'm going to need someone up for like a bit of a visual demonstration, and I'm, I'm basically just going to wait until uh, someone, someone's up for it. Could be a Stuart, could be a James. Ah, see, he said yes to doing it. Okay. <laughs> so I want us to get a picture of this. We're not good. I mean, we could wrestle. We could fun. But the, the image that we have, and I, this is around the desperation. You have Jacob. Say, I'm I'm Jacob. Self-made strong all your days. And we've had a wrestle, so we're in there. And then Stuart hits me with the the low blow to the hip. Bam. And at this point, all I have to do is literally hold on to Stuart for it because I can't, I can't. And I'm clinging on, clinging on. Thanks, Stuart. That's great. You see that it felt desperate for me. He's taking it. (laughs) He won. Look at the difference. Goes from self-made to literally clinging on with a gammy leg. He proves that Jacob may look like a self-reliant overcomer. He needs support at that point. He says, I will not let you go. I think literally, I will not let you go until you bless me. I need your help, God. 
He kind of gets what's happening at that moment. He moves and says, I need to receive something. I need your blessing, God. I need help. I can't do this my way anymore. And then the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. He begins to understand. This is not just some stranger who's jumped me. Something going on here. It's, um, some wonder if it was an angel. Some wonder if it was um, Jesus in a, in a wrestler form, which would be fun to see. But he recognizes there's something different. I'm wrestling not with flesh, but with God. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. He recognizes he had an encounter beyond his ability. And it says the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Out of this moment, Jacob crosses over and he goes to see Esau. Rather than swagging up to see his old brother who he's tricked twice, he limps forward and he approaches his brother and he kneels and he bows to him seven times. He goes humble and he waits basically for his brother to kill him or to reject him. And his brother embraces him. There's an edge of the story of the prodigal son, the son who took his father's inheritance and squandered it and, and then returned begging and the father opens the arms up. This is another picture of God's faith. He approached the one he felt ashamed of and he was embraced. Esau didn't see the swag of his trickster brother anymore. He saw the limp of a man open heart, but the limp and the blessing of someone. So, wrestling with God, it can take so many forms. But there's something about coming face to face, not hiding, not tucked away, that's deeply powerful. You know, the nature of wrestling is to hold all of ourselves, but also to engage with another person. It's to engage with someone fully, but also to try and avoid and pull away. It's to push against them and also try and pull away from them. It's to hold on to them as well as to try and let go when they're, when they're going. So there's something in a wrestle that involves a holding on with one hand and a letting go in another. There's a push. There's a pull. There's something that seems to be worked out in ourselves when we engage. Jacob was holding on to his self-made image. He was holding on to his old way of getting up to things, his trickster personality. And he was trying to let go of this fear of his brother. And in that wrestling encounter, all of his stuff started to get shaken around. He wouldn't let the guy go, and then he literally wouldn't let the guy go. 
He was trying to push into the future that he could see across the river with his flocks and his family. But he was trying to let go of that past shame with his brother and he sounded exhausted. It was like he was literally in between his future and his past and he was wrestling around the two. So for us, where do we need to have a little wrestle with God? Where do we need to get face to face? Because it's not in a distant encounter or shouting at God or ignoring and walking away. There's something in the wrestle. There's something in the engagement. There's something in the the tackle and the face-to-face struggle with everything in us approaching God that God seems to respond to. So what are we pushing and pulling for with God or pushing and pulling for in this world around us? Maybe you want to push for justice in your work or in the, the things you're passionate about, but you want to hold on to a sense of peace and not disrupting things too much. Maybe you're um, holding on to big questions and doubts and your faith is changing over, over years of study and scripture. Maybe there's something of trying to hold on to what you once believed, but there's a sense of engaging with God in a new way, in a new expression of spirituality. This could go so many ways. And there's a push and there's a pull. And the beauty is in engaging with God. So let's just take a few minutes to respond to this and we're going to have a little wrestle with God. Perhaps you want to think of something that feels like that. First, that there's a push and a pull. There's, a, there's an engage and there's an avoidance going on at the same time. <clears throat> Maybe there's a great step forward that you're passionate about taking in life, but it might come with a, a sense of loss. I wonder, you know, what I would like just to weigh these things and get a sense of them. What you're pushing for and what you're um, pulling, what you're holding on to and what you're trying to let go of. Maybe there's a no longer useful way of being that you just recognize, man, I'm tired of being like this. There's a push, there's a pull. And what would it be to put one hand on God's shoulder and the other hand on his arm and for him to do the same with you and to wrestle it out. What would it be to come face to face with God, with all of who we are, and to push and to pull? Then what would your response be if if God wanted to bless you? If God wanted to bless that part of who you are? What would it be if God really recognized, hey, I know you're not giving up. I'm in the wrestling with you. And what would happen if that push and that pull started to move something in in life? What is God calling you to hold on to? What's God calling you to let go of? And on the other side of the push and pull, what's God, God? What does God have for you on the other side? In the place where we say, God... I give up. I'm there. 
Would you bless me?